this one, Greg. You know, we have this labor of love that you've devoted a lot of time into with America's pastime for the love of baseball, and the hits just keep on coming. And it's been a while since we've talked to an umpire. And if you were going to find an umpire to talk to, I don't know if there's another one out there that might have as, as many uh, stories and historical things to talk about. But ladies and gentlemen, Jim Joyce joins the show. Jim, how are you, sir? Very well, gentlemen. Um, sitting here in Beaverton, Oregon, uh, enjoying the retired life now and looking forward to talking to you guys. I go on every night and see what you got going, Greg, and everything like that. And uh, I think it's a great website. And that's why I actually agreed to do this podcast with you, because I think it's a pretty well-run website and such. There are some things on it I beg to differ with, but uh, that's for another time and another story. So, But it's good to see you guys. You can only reel in so many village idiots at a time, but I, I do my best, damn it. But we, uh, Don't go to the football group we have. Yeah. <laughs> but th- there is actually five umpires in the group. So, I mean, a good right. group of umpires. So, so we also got a whole uh, team of Yeah, umpires. we could have our own crew. I mean, with that people in that group. Yeah, five guys, four on the field, one to replay. There you go. So how's Beaverton, man? Oregon is uh, one of those places. It's like a postcard to me with the tall pine trees and the wonderful climate out there. So where is Beaverton exactly? Beaverton, Oregon is right next to Portland. It's a suburb of Portland. It's uh, probably the fourth biggest city in Oregon. Uh, It's a beautiful little community. And uh, I can be to the beach in an hour 15. I can be to the mountains in an hour 30. And it's just got the best of both worlds for everything. Uh, It's not a lay around beach or anything like that. It's a rough ocean. It's the North Pacific. And, uh, but you know what? It's beautiful out here. I'm originally from Toledo, Ohio. So I got to give a shout out there because you have to be from somewhere, right? So, (laughs) yeah, uh, that's about uh, five hours from here. So, yeah, we're familiar. We went, drove past there, uh, going to Detroit and we go to Lake Erie every year fishing. Exactly. If you're headed to Detroit, you, you went right past Toledo. So, uh, that's what I used to do when I worked in Detroit. I stayed in Toledo with my mom and dad until they passed away. And then I started staying with my brother for a little while. Then I finally branched out and just started staying in, in Detroit when I worked there uh, up until the time I retired. So, mm-hmm. uh, But you know what? I've actually been to West Virginia. I played baseball, actually, in West Virginia when I was, uh, I believe, 16 years old, I believe. Uh, All right. So tell you got to tell us a little bit about that just so we can have that connection. There you go. Um, Trying to think, it was in Huntington, West Virginia. I think I was 16 years old, and I think, geez, I can't remember the division it was, uh, but it was a re- it was the uh, regional area for uh, my age group at that time, and uh, I played for uh, a team in Toledo, and we ended up in the finals with a team out of Cincinnati. Um, Sweeney Chevrolet, I believe, was the name of it. and <laughs> That's still a thing, I believe, Sweeney Chevrolet. I think it is. I, I agree with you, as a matter of fact. I, as a matter of fact, I know it is. So, <laughs> uh, it's a big thing still in Cincinnati. I'm a Reds fan, and I feel like I see their commercials uh, all the time. So <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on that one. So that's, that's cool. Huntington's only... You know, about 45, 40, minutes. 45 minutes down the road from us. We we like the, the food scene in Huntington. It's, it's very nice. But, uh, hey, it's small world. We love that stuff. But I'll be honest with you. There's something that, that Greg is, is dying to ask you about because it's cool that you're an umpire. But we didn't know you were like a, a up-and-coming movie star or a – 
television personality or whatever. I mean, that exactly. I was excited. I didn't know that was that Jim Joyce. That's amazing. So my question is, how did that come about? Because, uh, you know, I mean, what did you already have a relationship with Junior? How did it go down? It was a surprise to me, to be very honest with you. I had no idea it was coming. I was not briefed on it or anything like that. I got a phone call uh, one morning sitting out having coffee. I got a phone call from the president of the umpires union, Bill Miller. And he said, listen, baseball is going to give you a call, and they want to know if you want to do a commercial. And I said, well, I don't know. And he says, well, here's, here's the deal. We will give our blessing to it because what they the goal of the union is if there's commercials that are sponsored by Major League Baseball they, and, and an umpire is involved, they would like either an active current umpire to be in the commercial or a retired member of the union, obviously, which I am. <laughs> and then Bill Miller said, listen, it's, good, it's for Geico uh, Insurance and Ken Griffey Jr. is going to be in it. And Ken Griffey Jr. basically asked, if there's an umpire that's going to be used, I would like to have Jim Joyce in it. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, here's the reason, though. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, arming our buddies or anything, that we have a great working relationship. Great. I mean, perfect. I was the first one to eject Ken Griffey Jr. in the major leagues. (laughs) I was going there next. Okay. Uh, what, 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 What did he do? What happened with that? Um, I want to say it was June, it was something like June 26, uh, 1989, Seattle. I'm working the plate. Junior takes three pitches, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally three pitches. He doesn't move his bat, and there's it's three strikes. I mean, they're all right there. Junior, I don't know if he just wanted the night off or <laughs> whatever the case may be, but he walked away and he turned around and he said something he shouldn't say to any umpire at any particular time. So it was, see you later. And Jim LaFever was the manager. He comes out screaming and yelling, and he says, you can't run the kid. You can't run the kid. I said, Jim, Jim, hold on. Slow down. I said, let me ask you this. Can I say this to you? And I say what Junior said to me, those two words. And he says, no, you can't say that to me. I said, you know what? (laughs) Junior can't say that to me either. So that's the backstory. And there's an ejection, obviously, in the uh, the script of the show or the, the commercial. And so that's where that came from. Plus, when Junior was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I called his uh, – I actually called the uh, uh, clubhouse attendant in Seattle to see if I could get a phone number just to relay a message to him, congratulations. They gave me his agent's phone number. I called his agent. I said, I just want to call Junior and tell him, congratulations, I'm making the World Series. I said, I ejected him for my first ejection. It was his first ejection also. And he said, here's Junior's number. He'd love to hear from you. So that's basically the story going back to after we retired and he got into the Hall of Fame. So how long how long were you in the bigs at that point? Because you, you came up in the late 80s, oh, right? Our, our, both our rookie years. Okay, nice. Both of my rookie year, 1989 was my first full year. I had worked in the major leagues two years prior during the year, but my first contracted year was 89, and that was Junior's uh, first contracted year in 1989. So you, uh, you've been retired a few years when you, when you made this commercial. So 
you're having to throw him out. Did you have? Were you rusty on the throw out call, or did you have to do more than one take? Oh no, no, Greg, it's like riding a bike. Uh, you, I saw him <laughs> kicking those leaves. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't now, know see, that was the hardest. Movie. That was the hardest part of the commercial is because my knees are shot. <laughs> I, have, I have a re, I have a re, uh, replaced knee that needs to be re replaced, and so I had to pick pick with my right foot and make sure I didn't kick with my left and basically my leg come flying off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't even know that was going to be in the script. That was kind of added uh, towards the, uh, towards the end of the shoot and stuff. And um, <laughs> it was a blast to do. And it was great to see him. And I made a joke after the fact that we made, we, we did all the filming and stuff like that. And the ejection is not a junior. Oh, it's his I, wife. I, I inject his wife, Melissa. <laughs> That's and so the standing joke after that was Junior was my first ejection in the major leagues, and Melissa was my last. That's perfect. That is full circle. But to answer that question, no, it was it was it, it all came back real quick. How, how many takes did it take you guys? Um, that particular scene right there was the very first one we were doing, and my part was not very much to it, just an ejection. You know, I just, oh, you're done. And uh, they wanted me to be a little bit more emphatic, so I tried <laughs> a little bit more. I would say that took the better part of 45 minutes to 50 minutes to shoot just that one part because we were all nervous. That was the very first thing. Everybody was kind of nervous, even the crew and everything like that, trying to get things together. Plus, it was 97 degrees in Orlando, Mm. With 96% humidity. So I'm in full umpire gear. And um Yeah, but you're you're used to that, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like it was like a summer day in Kansas City. So, <laughs> Man, so go ahead, go ahead, I, I was go gonna say, so like there's a lot we want to talk about because obviously you were in you know umpiring a long time. I have a lot of questions kind of about how that worked <laughs> out, but I don't know if you want to ask me about the ejections. Yeah, yeah. Because you were talking about the commercial one. That's where I was going next was, uh, is there a particular player or manager other than Junior that, like, that you got into it with and you tossed that, like, they said something and you're just like, oh, damn, that was a good one. I haven't heard that before. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's a story pretty much with every ejection, to tell you the truth. Um, uh, Lou Piniella comes to mind in Boston one night. Um, his pitcher uh, had bases loaded, and he was standing in the um, wind-up position. He stepped off the mound with the wrong foot, and I balked him and brought the uh, and, and brought the. I think it was actually the time run or the go-ahead run. I don't really know. And Pinella came out screaming at me, and I just looked at Lou and I said, "Lou, I can't let that ride. That's you know, that's something that everybody here knows that that's a balk." And he goes, he just kept ranting and raving at me. And I finally just said, Lou, I'm not the one messing up on you. And I used a different term than messing up. But yeah. Uh, and he kind of looked at me and he said, you know what? You're right. Turn around and walk away. <laughs> there's, there's a purpose for that, though. Pinella wanted to, first of all, defend his player. And second of all, get the guys going. You know, like that proverbial right. fire. So, yeah, that was one. Uh, Tony LaRussa, who I actually didn't realize, I ejected Tony more than any manager that I had in the major leagues. I think I ejected Tony four times. And the funny thing is I had a great relationship with Tony. I mean, as a player or as a manager, umpire, I had a great relationship with him. 
but we were in um, San Francisco one afternoon, and it was a play at first base, but I had the plate, and a young umpire was at first base, and he called one of – we had a whacker at first and called one of Tony's players out. Instead of Tony running out of the dugout and running to him to argue with him, he ran straight for me and argued with me. And I said, Tony, why are you standing here screaming at me? I didn't even have the play. He says, because you're intimidated out here because all these people here. He says, wait a minute, Jimmy, wait a minute. I I didn't mean to get ejected. I said, well, Tony, I said, first of all, I didn't have the play. And second of all, you're arguing with me. And I said, it's not even my play. He said, but my daughter's here, and I didn't want to get ejected today. I said, so, sorry, Tony, the deed's been done, bud. <laughs> Can't he reverse says, it. I guarantee you one thing right now. My guy was saving, I'll bet you a bottle of wine. I said, red or white? And he said, red. I said, you're on. <laughs> I had a bottle of red, red wine sitting in my locker room the next day. Nice. Man, I, I got to ask just because Greg here is a diehard Braves fan. I'm sure he's dying to know any any Bobby Cox stories you want to make him feel giddy about? Bobby Cox was one of my favorite managers in the major leagues. Now, I know that he has the record of the most ejections ever in uh, Major League Baseball. But Bobby and Cox and I got along great. And the reason was is I was always honest with Bobby, and Bobby was always honest with me. I only had a couple arguments that I can even think of with Bobby Cox. One was at second base on the front end of a double play. I don't even know who the second base or the shortstop was at the time. But whoever was at second base missed on the on the, the head throw, the first throw. He caught the ball about that far off the base. And it was, I mean, it wasn't cheating. It was that far. And called him safe. I don't even know what the play at first was. Bobby came out. He said, Jimmy, Jimmy, you let him cheat all the time. I said, yep, absolutely, Bobby. You're exactly right. We let him cheat all the time. I said, that's just too much. That's getting away with outright robbery there. Same thing. He said, thank you, Jimmy. He literally said, thank you. Turn around, went off the, went off the, uh, to back to the dugout. I had Bobby's last game in the big leagues. Wow. And he actually came and stood next to me and said, Jimmy, thank you for your contribution to the game. And I said, Bobby, it's a pleasure just standing next to you here right now. Because you know where Bobby was going to go. I mean, you know, Hall of Fame manager. And he deserved it. And so that last picture at home plate of Bobby as an active manager, I actually got to stand next to him. So it was That's pretty cool. cool. That's awesome. I mean, and the crazy, cool. thing with, the crazy thing with Bobby, even though he led uh, history of MLB ejections, he made it clear that if a player didn't agree with the call, he's not going to wait around and let the player get thrown out. He's going to go out there and take the right. bullet and protect his guys. The majority of his were, were protecting his guys. Yeah, exactly. And really, that's the theory of uh, why most managers get ejected in the first place. Places is actually protecting their players, and the, the players being played is being paid to play, not to be sitting in the clubhouse after getting ejected. Right. Now, some managers would let it ride to teach a lesson, though, and oh, yeah. then take care of it after the fact. You know what I mean? After right. the game in the locker room, that was a learning moment for the player. Jim Leland was big on that, and uh, I'm sure there was a lot of other managers that were the same way. And congrats to Jimmy for uh, getting in the hall this year. Say that one more time. Jimmy uh, Leland getting in the hall this year. Absolutely. I 
<laughs> I was glad to see that. I think I was really kind of surprised he was the only one. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I, I thought was... Lou Pinella as well. Uh, and there was another one that was on there that was close, and I can't remember who it was off the top mm. of my head. But uh, well, definitely... there were two. There were also two umpires that were on it, and you know, there's only ten umpires in the, in the Hall of Fame, and I really kind of thought that Joe West might have been a shoe in, right? Um, on the so-called Veterans Committee or whatever they call the committee now, I thought it would have been three of them. I thought it would have been um, Leland, Pinella, and Joe. That's what right. I actually thought the vote was going to come down to. A lot of people have these uh, thoughts about uh, the Cowboy, but uh, I loved him when he was, uh, you know, but I felt like he was done a really awesome, awesome job. Oh, man, he was iconic. Too. And he was, he was iconic, and he was an imposing figure. You know what? Joe West, whether like, dislike, whatever, was probably one of the best umpires to ever, to ever put the suit on. Um, and I'm not saying that because Joe's a friend of mine. I actually worked with Joe West on the field. And I, not a lot, but enough to see. And you don't get to the major leagues at 23 years old and spend 43 years on the baseball field if if you don't know what you're doing. That, that, I mean, that's no, nah, and that's kind of some of the stuff I wanted to ask about is because I remember reading not too long ago that, you know, like the the list to get in as an umpire in the MLB level, like it's it's huge because nobody leaves. Like once you get in, it seems like these guys make a long, long career. And, you know, I just was kind of curious on how your road was to get there. And, and, man, it really seems like, especially hearing the Geico story, that union's taking care of you guys, it sounds like. So that's good to hear. But, like, what makes it so difficult to get into that brotherhood? Well, you're exactly right. It, it, it is a very tough nut to crack to get into the major leagues. I spent 11 years in the minor leagues. And at, right after I finally got to the major leagues, they started a um, – a retention plan in the minor leagues. So guys weren't spending 10. I was going to say 11 years is a long time in the minors. Long years. It's a lot of years. As a matter of fact, it, it <laughs> very rarely does that happen anymore. Um, but um, it's my story to get to the major leagues back then. Um, we had a situation, obviously we had two leagues, the American league National League. Um, the very first thing that happened was Marty Springstone, a longtime major league umpire, walked off the field and became the supervisor of, of umpires in the American League in 1985. And I think it was 85 or 86. And in 1986, Marty actually bought my contract. And that's when they used to do that. They used to buy our contracts, and we were property of the American League. We couldn't go to the National League. And unfortunately, one of the American League umpires passed away at 43 years old, Nick Brummigan. There were three of us in line for the job. It was me, Terry Kraft, and Chuck Merriwood, God rest his soul. And I was fortunate enough to be picked by Marty Springstead as the next on-staff umpire. And Marty was kind of like my baseball dad and he took me under his wing and he kind of guided me because I never did amateur baseball as a as an umpire I was strictly I strictly played 
And Marty took me under his wing, and God rest his soul also. Uh, I was lucky enough to make it to the major leagues by a un very unfortunate situation. And after that, like you said, once you get to the major leagues, uh, in the early days, there wasn't much supervision. Around, are, we, are we talking about on the field or off the field? <laughs> pretty much both. <laughs> but baseball finally turned that around around 19, um, I want to say around 1999-ish, 2000-ish. And they instituted, and this is because I see a lot of this on the website uh, in comments on your guys' website. On certain umpires, why aren't they? fired and why aren't they you know oh you guys are like supreme court justices you never <laughs> you're not accountable and everything no that's not that's not true every single guy is accountable and every single guy is every pitching calls and every play he has in the major leagues is not only taped and reviewed but graded on and what some people conceive as the worst umpire in Major League Baseball is still one of the best umpires in the world, okay? It's – it's. I know a lot of people are not going to agree with that, and that's their prerogative, and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. But if you just think about this, I don't know why people don't realize that they make it sound like there's no supervision in the Major Leagues. Believe me, there's a ton of supervision in the major leagues. There's even a, a thing called the matrix where an umpire gets could be put in the matrix on his way to being fired. It hasn't happened, but there is a avenue to replace an umpire if it's deemed worthy enough to do that. So only by age, and there is no age restriction, so – Umpires enjoy a long career. So do you think, I um, mean, we keep hearing about it, about the robot umpires and all that. And one, do you think the union would ever allow it? And if so, how far out do you think we are with that? Well, I hope I hope they never allow it, but I think it's pretty close. It feels, it feels inevitable at this point, doesn't it? I don't think there's any doubt about it. Now, does it, it just tells the actual umpire if it's a ball or strike, correct? Right. It's like my hearing aids. It beeps in his ear and uh, he calls the ball or strike. Now, I'm in favor of if they are going to go this route of which they I, they already have anyway. I mean, obviously, they have the, um, you know, electronic uh, box on the TV and everything like that. <laughs> and. Believe me, they would be using it right now if it was. In the high 90s accuracy. It's not because that's what that's what the living umpires typically are, right? Right. Yeah. What they're doing is they're they're going to incorporate this, and I read it on the comments on the website once again that they're everybody wants this. Be careful what you want out there, because once you get it, it probably won't be taken away. Yeah. And a typical average major league umpire in the big league scores in the high nineties behind the plate. And the average that an umpire misses is between four and eight pitches a game. High That's end insane. is eight, low end is four. So 
My contention is if you're worried about four pitches, and I'm talking about pitches that aren't even involved in any particular situation during the game, you know, like high pressure point in the game or whatever. Like a, like a 1-0 count in the second inning or something. I mean, right. we're, we're talking, exactly. we're, it could be like 400 pitches <laughs> in a game. Yeah. Right. And and the thing about it is if the, if put it in the strategy of the game, then leave it up to the manager or the hitter, actually, either one, I don't really care and challenge the pitch. If you need to challenge the pitch. I see. I like that. I think that's a good compromise, and maybe that'll slow down the road to hell's paved with good intentions thing. It's about to happen, but you know, and that's the thing. Like you're, you're right. People only focus on what they see because the umpire should be invisible, right? You don't know they're really there because they call such a good game. But you know, if if somebody like we all hear the stories about Angel Hernandez, and and you know, but but to your point, that's how I became aware of like that grading system and things like that, like you got kind of demoted if you're not performing well. So, you know, and, and you're a guy, I think I saw at least once from your peers or the players, like you've been rated as 2012. Were you, were you the rated the highest uh, umpire one year? Is am I, did I see that right? There's a rumor to that effect. Yeah. Okay. So there, there may or may not be a rumor that says <laughs> that. Uh, well, uh, but, the, but the thing about it is, is, is that, you know, it, the I love the accolades about doing your job and doing it the way the players perceive that an umpire should be and stuff like that. I don't see many umpires. I mean, there's a few, and if you if you deserve to get blasted, you deserve to get blasted. I don't have a problem with that, but don't blast somebody just because of their quote unquote reputation now. Because there's a lot of people out there that are that are blasting umpires because of their perceived perceived reputation from things that happened in the past. I know that's how you get a reputation, but once again, I go back to if if those umpires were as bad as everybody say they are, they wouldn't be there. Believe me, I can guarantee you. They wouldn't be there. And Major League Baseball is very, very careful on how they talk about their umpires, good and bad. Very well. When was the last time you saw Major League Baseball come out and say, uh, Jim Joyce had a great game last night? <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't see them. They just were in the shadows doing exactly. their job. On the other hand, you don't see Major League Baseball come out very often and say, Jim Joyce had a terrible game last night. Right. Very, very rarely happens. It's all in-house everything is taken care of in-house well, that's Believe how it should be exactly and punishment or i don't even want to say it's punishment but people are left off out of the playoffs out of the lcs there's the accountability league. right and <clears throat> there is there is accountability in the major league believe me believe me there is well, and then looking at it from our perspective and like a fan perspective. So with technology and social media these days, unfortunately, fans can put together footage and make it look like they're actually worse than they were to drive a point home if they get in their gut like that. So, I mean, I mean, it, it could be over several games. But to me, like you said, I mean, well, you know, it's fans, never an issue. Fans always want to blame something if they don't get the design. Oh, yeah, anytime your team loses, so, it's a bad car or whatever. So, did you ever, did you ever have any of those issues where like fans were just giving you the business and you're like, man, no, like ninety nine percent, yeah, like you got any, any bad ones there? 
No, that's never happened. June second, two thousand ten, never happened. So, uh, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so uh, since, since, gonna, you know, uh, I learned a long time ago that you better have some thin skin in this business, or I mean, you better have some thick skin in this business, or it's going to be a long, long, long career. Believe me, and uh, players are the same way, and um, you you take you got to take the good with the bad. I'm a fan also, believe me, in other sports. I'm a hockey fan. I'm a football fan. I get irritated at officials also. and <laughs> But that's the human nature also with a lot of this stuff. Baseball, I just happen to be a little bit more touchy about because I know the people that they're talking about. And I know what kind of people they are. Ted Barrett the other night um, – one of the umpires' names came up, and Ted Barrett right away came out and said, if you only knew this person, you would never be saying what you're saying about him. Oh, I remember that. Yes. Just happened last week. Yeah. Like I said, I pay attention, Greg. I pay attention to your <laughs> website. So. Well, I, I try to keep it clean the best I can. Uh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. I only have one question about 2010, only because you brought it up. So <laughs> we, same, so that's where I was. No, going. we had uh, so once you realized you saw the replay or whatever. Did you, first of all, did you know it immediately that you missed it, or was it after you saw the replay? And if so, what was going through your yeah, mind? My, my dad was a high school umpire and whatnot for years, and like once you make the call, like he always told me, like you can't change it. So yeah, we were just curious, like how that kind of unfolded for you, and before you even answered. Damn, you handled that with class. Like, I'm telling you, I can't even imagine how that felt. But, like, I I applaud, you know, for the way you handled that. That was amazing. Thank you. You made my day on that one, actually. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> when I made the call, I was 100% sure I was right. I'll be honest with you. If you, if you watch it, I've only seen the replay once. That's all I needed to see is once. That was in Detroit on the night of June 2nd, 2010. <clears throat> and I didn't realize that there was, I didn't realize that I had probably missed it until Jim Leland came out. Jim Leland came out on me and he never said a word to me, mm. not one. And I knew there was a problem. Mm. So I went back and naturally, you know, the, whatever it was, 40,000 people were screaming. And I really knew I missed it on the next play, the uh, 28th out. And as I'm walking off the field, I knew then because Jim Leland now comes out to me and says, Jimmy, you missed it. Now, you got to realize another thing <laughs> or a few things. Jim, Jim Leland's from Toledo, Ohio. Huh. I'm from Toledo, Ohio. He knows all my family. Um, the pitching coach I played with at Bowling Green State University, Jeff Jones. So I have these people that not only I respect, they respected me, and I felt like I also let them down at that particular time. And I finally got to the locker room and then not only that, Marvin Hudson played umpire. I took his name right out of the history book. Um, got in the locker room, and 
Jim Schmankel is our clubhouse attendant, and he went to my high school. So I have a pretty big connection in the Detroit ballpark with a lot of people. I mean, Toledo is a suburb of Detroit, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. It's 40 miles away. You know, like I said, I stayed there with, you know, my, uh, when I, with my mom and dad and such. And Schmankel had it uh, queued up, turned it on, saw the play. I immediately walked into the back of the locker room. It was divided two rooms, and I, I can't say what I said on this podcast. I can't do it. <laughs> and I probably don't remember half of it anyway because I was blind rage by then. And so after the fact, um, uh, Daryl Cousins was my crew chief, God rest his soul. And he came in and I said, I can't believe I missed that, Daryl. And he said, Jimmy, just try to you know, take it easy. And I said, what do you, how can I? How can I do this? At that particular time, the, now the door, there's knocks on the door. Now, you know who that is. That's, you know, every media personnel that was in the ballpark that night. So the PR guy from Detroit came in. I can't remember his name, and I apologize for that. And he says, the media obviously wants to talk to Jim. Daryl says, only one pool reporter. I looked at Daryl and I said, you really think that's going to fly? <laughs> now, there's 50 people out there in a room about as big as my den right here. And 20 by 20 in this little area in the, our locker room. I said, Daryl, let them all in. We, we got it. We can't. Tell people they can't come in. So long story short, everybody came in. I was dressed in my uh, uniform pants and a black T-shirt on. And at the time, I smoked. And I wanted the PR guy said, listen, Jimmy, we have a law in Detroit. You cannot smoke in, in public areas and stuff. I said, okay, I got it. So the press... Asked away. I said, I'll answer every question, honestly, if I can. I All I did was I gave him my honest feelings. It was more feelings than anything else. And I just, I just said what I said because I couldn't lie and try to make something up. It just wasn't right. And so I said what I said, and I had to face it, basically. And I think I used the quote, I had a man up. And and by the time after about the 20th question, I broke down. I couldn't, I couldn't talk anymore. And I said, that's it. And I, I went in the back of the locker room. The first thing I did is I lit up a cigarette back there. I said, they're going to arrest me for smoking. Now's the time. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Not like I, I think we all relive that with you a little bit just now vicariously, and it's not very common that umpires get called to talk to the media. And, you know, I think uh, to your point, that's why, you know, some of the guys like Bobby Cox liked you is when it came down to rubber meet the road, you just said, I'm going to be honest about it. And I, I think that's why, uh, you know, I think well, it was a couple years later, nobody's thinking about that. They're they're rating you as the best called umpire in the game. So I mean, you know that that goes a lot with how you handle yourself. But 
the thing about it is okay. Hey was, Jim, Jim, real quick, I, I apologize, man. We um we are on a timer on this. Would it be okay if we hang up and come back for like just a few more minutes? It's getting ready to kick us off. It was just the same link I sent you. Can can we get you right back for a few more minutes? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, you know, we just wanted to kind of put a bow on it, man. We do appreciate you giving as much time as you have uh, so far this evening. But you know, a couple, couple uh, questions. I know we were dying to just to know, you know, you got to umpire some really big events, whether it be a World Series or an All Star Game. So just kind of, what were those experiences like? And do you have a, you know, we we talked about the low light, and I appreciate you being as as transparent about all that stuff. But how about some highlight? Like, do you have a a moment you're most proud to be a part of or a game that stood out to you or uh, anything like that? Well, you know, um, I want to go back just one more time back to June 2nd. Actually, that was probably, I can't imagine too many people would say a highlight, but you know what, for baseball, it was actually a highlight because I'm the poster child also for instant replay. <laughs> um, that was 2010. Now, remember this, that, Replay didn't go full-blown replay until 2014. It took that long from 2010, June 2nd, you know, to get instituted, which everybody, I think we didn't want it or anything like that either at that particular time, 2010 or whatever. Now, we had limited replay in 2010, but we weren't allowed, allowed to go to it for a play. We can only go to it for a home run or a boundary call. So uh, that being said, um, actually, it made the path to replay much easier. So that being said, um, I think one of the highlights of my career, and I just I know John Hirschbeck just joined the group, and John Hirschbeck and I are tremendous friends. And John Hirschbeck, I worked my last World Series with John Hirschbeck, and that was the last World Series, 2013. Um, St. Louis, Boston was the last World Series that was worked without instant replay. And we had plays everywhere, everywhere. And I had a play at every single base that I worked, including bangers at first, um, uh, 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 whether a guy was on the base at second base on the front end of a double play. Then I had the, the, um, Obstruction call at third, the first time that a World Series game had ever ended on a rules interpretation or a rules call. And when that happens, I thought my gut couldn't sink any farther than it did on June 2nd, 2010. But after you make a call in the World Series on a rules interpretation call, I didn't know if I could get through it. And one of my all-time best friends also, not only John Hirschbeck, but Dana DeMuth was working to play the plate at the time of that call. And we everything just clicked. And if you if you look at that play and what happened afterwards, there wasn't much argument. I mean, Pedroia put up kind of a beef and everything like that. But you know what? They knew it happened. Middlebrooks really didn't even put up that much of an argument. I know he's he's a, he's in the group, right? Um, but that is actually a highlight of my career. One of the highlights of my career is making that call 
And it shows that umpires, because of their experience that they have gained through the minor leagues and their time in the big leagues, that was an experience call. That was just something that popped right up. I didn't, there was no time to think about it. It was what happened in front of me, and it came out that's obstruction. And Joe Torrey was our boss at the time, and Joe's no stranger to getting into it with umpires or anything like that. Now he's my boss, and I walked in the locker room. He's standing there with the wool book. <laughs> I looked at him, I went, uh-oh. And I said, did I get it right? And he says, it's a classic rule book obstruction B. And he read the rule to us. Well, we kind of know the rules a little bit. Well, he yeah. probably did it for his own benefit. He's like, I got to make sure I'm not going to catch <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because he's going to have to go out there and answer the questions on that one, too. Uh, and then, actually, um, as I spun around the bases and I got to home plate that night, or, or the, the it was uh, game six, uh, I think it might be the best plate job that I had in my career. And... Um, you know, not to be too egotistical about it. I think it did a pretty good job. And uh, the attestment to that was um, David Ross was my catcher for Boston. And, um, oh, why can't his name hit me right now? St. Louis. Yachty. Right. Molina. Molina. Yep. Uh, they both, we had a great night. Respectfully, meaning between there was no little bickering or anything like that. It was just a, everything clicked that night. And there's a picture actually of me calling Johnny Gomes safe at home plate. And in the background is uh, uh, David Ortiz, Jacoby, uh, Brett Jacoby, isn't it? Ellsbury. Yeah, Jacoby Ellsbury. And um, the shortstop, Xavier. Who was that? Was it Bogarts at the time? Yep, that's it, Bogarts. And they're all single and safe. And it's just a really cool picture. And it's it's a cool sports picture, but it's really even cool that I'm in it. So that's awesome. That, that's you know, I was I was at second base for Nolan Ryan's five thousand strikeout. That was pretty cool. That is cool. Did uh, did you have a did you have a favorite? position or did you like being behind the plate most or where, where did you well, like to be behind the plate for any umpire is his bread and butter and that's they they you don't get to the big leagues by uh working third base all the time <laughs> yeah and, uh, but you're into the game all the time at third base i mean at uh at the plate all the time at every pitch and that's another reason i'm, I'm kind of anti-robo umpire um Umpires can get complacent if they're just standing out there and somebody's there's something's telling them what to do. It's going to become complacency. They're going to have to play at the plate, a rules interpretation or something like that, and it's just going to get messed up. That's my second rant on that. <laughs> now, I, I saw um, one time when you were – I think it was – I thought it was you. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, you can call me out on this. But I think one time when you were on third, you took a shot right to the shin or the knee one time. So I also wanted to ask just as an umpire, do you have some of those battle scars? Like, do you have any of those? Like, which one, like, are you carrying with you the most that you remember? 
Actually, you're exactly right. I've only been hit twice in my career, both in third base and both in Seattle. <laughs> and within two weeks, well, within a week of coming back after the fact, I got blasted. I don't even know who it was a left handed hitter. He just zinged one down the right, uh, left field. Left field line, and being sixty-one years old, I not as fast as I used to be, and it <laughs> smoked me and it tore my calf muscle. Oh, I was out for about four weeks. Came back. I think I went to Anaheim first, and then I went to Seattle, and my wife was with me that time too. And I'll be damned if I didn't do the same damn thing. <laughs> same leg, same spot. And I was out for another four weeks. And, uh, yeah, that – it doesn't happen that often. And it wasn't from pain, not paying attention or anything like that. It was just I couldn't get out of the way. You got to be like a cat sometimes. And yeah. we're, I, we're not yeah. as good as we once were sometimes. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Mm. All right. So I'm dying to know uh, two two more things. I'm done. Anything you got, Greg, you can ask. But I, I want to know about um, – CPR and resuscitation. I, I came across that. Was that in Tampa or Arizona? Arizona. Um, Arizona. Yeah. So what I, what exactly happened there? I only saw a clip of it like on a broadcast one time. So I, I'd like for you to share. I'm just curious. I'm glad you asked that because that is probably the biggest thing I ever did in my career, bar none. And and, and it puts baseball to shame. Yeah, actually. Sure. Very honest with you. Uh, quick in a nutshell. My wife was visiting. Uh, we were in we were in uh, Arizona together. The first night in town, we were late getting to the ballpark. Uh, and the reason is we didn't adjust. Uh, Arizona starts their games at six forty. They don't have daylight savings time or some nonsense right. either, right? So yeah. they start at six forty and seven seven instead of seven ten seven fifteen. So we got there, we're a little bit late, and I'm a creature of habit. I'm very anal, and uh, certain things are done pregame and stuff like that. So I told my crew that that night uh, after the game, okay, boys, pony up 40 minutes earlier. We're going to be on time. We're going to do our normal stuff. I don't... It just is, you know, the anal part of me. And so we got to the ballpark. We're actually 10 minutes early now. And my partner, James Hoy, and a uh, umpire out of the minor leagues, Lance Barrett, who's now a major league umpire full-time. And Lance is six foot four, and Hoy's about six one. And my wife and I are walking behind him, behind him, and my wife's on my right. We're walking down the tunnel to go to our locker room. and. As we as they go by, I look off to my left. There's a lady laying on the floor. Oh wow! And there's a lady at her feet, kneeling down, yelling her name, Jane, Jane. And I looked. She's still moving, and I'm thinking she's having a seizure. I'm one of those guys that I've done driving down the street. I've had five people have seizures in front of me in a car, bike walking down the street. My daughters had two. Mm. So the paramedics here and the firemen say, you're one of those people. You're one of those guys. I said, yep, that's what I mean. <laughs> so I'm thinking she's having a seizure. 
And I said, we need to pull her away from the wall so he doesn't hurt her head. I said, what's her name? She, the lady and her niece says, it's Jane. I said, come on, Jane. I started giving her some on the breastbone right here is a pressure point, and you hit that. You can do it. You can feel it. And she responded to it. I said, that a girl, come on, let's go. And then all of a sudden, everything lights out. Dilated pupils, no breathing. And I said to the girl, go get the paramedics, call 911. She's not breathing. I gave her three quick breaths and started CPR. And it seemed like it went on for pretty much an hour and a half. And it was realistically probably only six minutes to seven minutes because there were paramedics on duty at the ballpark. <laughs> and so when they got there, they got the AED out, the machine, um, automatic defibrillator, and started hooking her up. And I went to stop doing it. He goes, no, keep going. So I'm doing staying alive in my head because that's the beat to the to the chest uh, compressions. And he hooked her up. And it's just like you see in the movies when they – say clear and hit that button she came about oh yay that far off the ground and it took six shots Ooh. just to get the initial heartbeat back and went out work the plate that night <laughs> what how in the hell could you go work after that uh, oh. think about this guys if something like that happened to you and now they want you to go to your job and they want you to sit in the corner and just sit there and think about what just happened. I guess that's true. Sometimes it's about idle hands, right? It's better to be exactly. busy. I said, no, I'm working to play tonight. And the guys on the crew kept saying, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> My wife is the one that finally said, quit arguing with him. <laughs> and so they did. And I went out and worked the plate that night and I scored pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, I, I'm glad you had the game to take your mind off of that. But at least that's what uh, I said. That's what I said. I have to. I can't be standing at third base thinking about this all night. So I got to have just a little caveat to this: the girl at her knees, and I don't know if you've ever heard the name Bill Cutler. Bill, Bill Cutler was the Pacific League, Pacific League Coast uh, Pacific Coast League president when I worked in the Pacific Coast League. Okay. It was his. It was his granddaughter that was at the girl's knees. Oh wow! Bill Cutler Jr. worked for the uh, the Diamondbacks. Was the girl Jane Powers, who I did CPR on, was her boss. <laughs> and it's just so. Sometimes it is a small world. And um, long story short, unfortunately, Jane passed away. Um, seven years later, she got COVID after a heart transplant. And oh, wow. unfortunately, she passed away. But you know what? It does work, and it gave her seven years back. So Heck, yeah, man. Let's give a round of applause for boy Jim giving him seven years. That's, that's, man, that's amazing. And everybody really should take the time to learn CPR. It doesn't, it, it, it's nothing. It doesn't take any time. It takes one hour of your time. And believe it or not, you might save one of your best. You might save him and he might, or might, he might save you. You never know. It could be your parents. It could be one of your kids. Um, 
I've known CPR since I was 16 years old. So then you just have to be willing to jump in to do it. And that's uh, that's probably the toughest thing for a lot of people and to react to that quickly. And like you said, even initially, you're like, oh, it's probably a seizure or something like that. And nope. But yeah, that's uh, hey, that time you did have like reflexes. <laughs> you know what the funny thing about it is, is that that will happen and people will stand around. And that's what happened in this situation, because she worked for food services and their their little area was right next door to Ocaro. There were probably 20 people standing around. And, but like, like I just said, you have to be willing to jump in and, um, I'm glad I did. And I do it again in a minute. So. Heck yeah, man. That's, uh, that's powerful. Uh, (laughs) it's hard to follow anything with that. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it really is. Uh, but I, I, I guess to, to put a lighter note on it, which that was light, that was, that's still an amazing story. That's fantastic. But uh, of all the time you spent in the majors, just anybody you got to see in person, uh, the last question I got for you is just who was your, I don't, I don't know, favorite's the right word, but like the, the player that you thought was the best that you got to see in person. Like, you know, we all see like maybe he just looks at it and was like, wow. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you're behind the plate. You see it like, man, maybe when they hit the ball was a little different. Maybe when they threw the balls, I don't know. Like who you got maybe one or two that just really stood out to you as being like, man, this, this is special. I know everybody's going to say, because you had the commercial, you're going to say Ken Griffey Jr. Yes, I'm going to say Ken Griffey Jr., and that was way before the commercial. Ken Griffey Jr., by far, above anybody that I had in the major leagues, was the best player I've ever seen, bar none. He did it all. I don't think anybody can criticize you for that answer. That is uh, an acceptable answer. He is is amazing. He did it it all. The best left-handed hitter I saw was probably Wade Boggs and was probably – um, Barry Bonds. Yeah, a lot of people don't like to say Barry because of obvious reasons, but I, I, I know when we have conversations, like there's that, nobody I've ever saw that was as feared at the plate as he was. Uh, he was uh, by far, uh, he was probably the most feared. I think that's a perfect way to put it. He was probably the most feared left-handed hitter that I saw pitchers pitch around. And uh, well, just look at the stats on how many walks he had. Oh, yeah. Not only intentional, but regular walks. He had a great eye also. Right-handed hitter was Edgar, Edgar Martinez. He was, a, he was a double machine. And I just read a story about him that he, he wasn't even – he played in the minor leagues for quite a while, and he wasn't, even, he wasn't even a top prospect. He just got a shot one time, and he just turned it into a, you know, a gold mine. He just yeah. kept grinding and grinding, and it even took him the 10 years to get to the hall, but he, he ultimately got there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, Omar Vizcal was one of the best shortstops I saw, even though Cal Ripken probably was the best shortstop I saw. And uh, he didn't have much of a personality with umpires, but he was uh, – even when I would say hi, I know it was pretty much high, and that was pretty much it. And he just did his job. That's all he did. And he probably was the he was probably the best shortstop I saw. Derek Jeter was the personality, probably the second best shortstop I ever saw. I had the benefit in the in my career to see probably some of the greatest baseball players ever play this game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as he started naming those, I was like, what a time to be an umpire. 
Well, I want to go. I want to go back to Bonds for just one second. The fact is, you know, he has the suspicions. Obviously, we know that he's not in the hall. I think he's the best hitter I've ever seen personally. But like, whether steroids or not's in the question. People don't realize that he would get one pitch a game that was hittable, and he'd hit it in the cove. <laughs> he he would take his walks, but he only swung at strikes for the most part. Yeah, I try to stay out of the political part of that also because I was involved in it for 40-some years, and I was 29 and a half years in the major leagues. And you know what? My job entailed doing my part of it, but watching these guys do it, they still had to hit it, they still had to catch it, and they still had to pitch it. Right. And whether or not that the other stuff did anything for that, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not that smart. All I know is that Barry Bonds hit the ball a long way. And <laughs> he did it consistently for a lot of years. And Ken Griffey Jr. had the best swing in baseball. Oh, ever Griffey's Griffey swing is like Michael Jordan's silhouette in basketball. Exactly. Like exactly it's, right. it's that it's that big a deal. Yep. And mm-hmm. my my daughter got the benefit from my relationship with Griffey, uh, even though uh, Junior and I had a very professional one. He really, he's he's a very caring person also. He's, I don't want to make this sound like it's a love story because it's not. Uh, he just took to my daughter and my daughter was just a little tyke. And uh, when you walk into Seattle down the tunnel, you have to walk right past the Seattle locker room. Nine times out of 10 when we got there, he, Griffey's holding court outside. So he would see my daughter and my wife. I would say, see you later. And I, I'll meet you at my locker room. And I would, I'd go. And all of a sudden, my daughter comes walking by and she's got a game worn jersey by Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> Benefits it, of having you as a dad. <laughs> yeah, man. And that's her all time favorite player. And I, she's number 24 when she played. She was an all state softball player. She's number 24. She wore her hat backwards and shit. I mean, oops. Yeah, nah, you're good. We say yeah. a lot worse, I promise. <laughs> but uh, we do appreciate you bringing an element of class to the show, though, because you definitely have done that. And, and in closing, the only other question I had, I love the mustache because yeah. it's it's a little different. You go a little wider than some people do, but you don't go like Hulk Hogan style all the way down. It's kind of somewhere in between. But we've used the word iconic a couple of times tonight. And I do think that is an iconic mustache. If you don't know who's behind the plate, all you got to do is look for the whiskers. And it's very clear. So what made you decide and how long have you had that style of mustache? Well, I've shortened this one up. This one's I've thinned it out. It used to be down here a little bit. And I've thinned it out a little bit because I'm I was too old to look like. like, like <laughs> Nonsense. Hogan or whoever. And, uh I always wore a mustache in the offseason. And so when I first got in minor league baseball, it was taboo. You didn't wear a mustache. And you were clean shaven and no mustache. So it was about five years after I got into the big leagues that they finally started allowing facial hair on umpires. And I jumped at it right away. And it started out just a you know, above the lip and on the corner a little bit. And then, you know, I said, well, no, I kind of like it out farther and drawn and a little bit of a foo and I like it. it. I like and a crew chief actually come up to me one time and say that's got to go. <laughs> wow. Now we we do the same job now and 
you're not my crew chief either, so I, the mustache stays. I was actually asked to cut my mustache to, uh, by a union personnel to become a crew chief, and I, I said I won't do it. You said this ain't the Yankees. <laughs> That's you're right. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> Uh, I know you feel vicariously that because you weren't allowed to have oh, facial yeah. hair so for a long time. UPS there. wouldn't allow facial hair for over 100 years, and they lifted that two years ago. So you see me with the winter beard. I'm taking advantage as well. Yeah, see, and I worked, I worked for UPS for two peak seasons, and I was always clean shaven uh, because that also, and after uh, Christmas Day, one of my last days of peak season, the December 26th, the mustache came back or started coming back. <laughs> Just put some water on it, let it grow. <laughs> How many years do you have at UPS? Ah, 21. That's perfect. I uh, That was a great minor league job. I'll give him a little plug. My best friend was a manager at UPS. He didn't get me in or anything like that because I didn't know him at the time. But um, I needed a winter job in the minor leagues. I'd done construction, bartending, all the same you know, right. the, the stuff. And I ran – I saw the ad for peak season and I went after it and scared to death of driving those trucks or cars. Uh, but actually they gave me a truck and my first uh, route was just a um, industrial area of probably 40 buildings. And I did that all day. It, it was a one block. I just did it one day. It was a great, great job. I enjoyed it immensely. So, and it put food on the table when I was in the minor leagues. Yeah, life is tough in the minor leagues, whether you're a player or an umpire, I'm sure. Yeah. But, uh, hey, you know what? In fact, Danny Worthen, the uh, pitching coach for uh, Montreal, and also, um, God, who was Danny with? Uh, Danny Worthen, he lives here in Beaverton. He was in the big leagues for a long time. With, uh, oh, the Mets with Terry, uh, with Terry Collins. We worked at UPS together. Nice. So. It was a blast. It was a good time. Maybe we need to get a UPS jersey. Yeah, we could. Yeah, <laughs> well, Jim, I, I appreciate you giving us as much time as you have. Like, it's been a fantastic conversation. I love the insight, just some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and kind of how you process a lot of things and just the overall experiences. Like, I, I think a lot of times, you know, we watch the game and – to your point, you know, the umpires are sometimes in the background. We're not paying as much attention to them. Baseball can be a little different because you always have the home plate umpire there. But, man, I, I appreciate the stories. and It's been a blast having you, man. I just want to say thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. I enjoy doing this. And, you know, people always say, do you have any regrets? No. You know, it was a, it was a great life. It was a great career for me. And I wouldn't – I really wouldn't change anything. And – <laughs> I wouldn't change anything until we put me in the mayonnaise jar. <laughs> uh, hey, you're you're a Hall of Fame in our book, brother. We just want to say that. I appreciate it very much. I'll continue to look at the website every night. And uh, I'll send you my uh, contact information so we just don't have to do it through Facebook all the time if you ever want to do something else or if something comes up. You, you gave me your cell. I just got to put it in my phone. I'm slacking, but you, we'll, definitely, you do it? we'll definitely do that. Yeah. Okay. You do I, have it though, right? Yes, sir. All right. We we probably kept him away from dinner out there on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. It's time no, to actually, actually, I'm waiting for my daughter's going to show up tonight. Um, she has to go to the doctor tomorrow. She had cartilage replacement surgery on her left knee for her ninth knee surgery, and she's being fitted for a brace tomorrow. Mm. So – my wife and I are actually waiting for her to show up. We're going out to dinner with her tonight. 
So, All right, where, you, where are you going? Where, where are you going tonight? She's not going to be here for another 40 minutes. So. All right, what type of food's on the on the menu tonight? Where are we going? It's going to be Mexican at, El, at C Senor's. Ah, can't can't wrong with you Mexican. can't beat Mexican. doesn't matter. <laughs> Both the girls in my, in my family, my wife and my daughter, love Mexican. I'm a meat and taters guy, but yeah. you know what? I can do the Mexican every, every now and then. So. <laughs> We can, too. We're right there with you. All right. Well, you enjoy your evening, Jim. Thanks again so much. And, uh, man, we'll talk again down the road, man. Appreciate you. Sounds good to me, guys. Take care. Stay safe. And enjoy.